Welcome in, everybody, to another edition of Celtics Beat. It is Sunday, December 7th. Yes, Sunday. Celtics Beat is back on Sundays, December 7th. What better day to do this? Larry Bird's birthday. That's right. We're going to be on from Sundays from now on. I'm your host, Larry H. Russell. Made the big move, obviously, for many reasons. Many Celtics games on Sundays. We're going to be previewing today's game against, oh, geez, Paul Pierce, Washington Wizards. One of the most anticipated games of the season. We'll be talking about that. We'll obviously be talking about the quote-unquote big win Friday night against the arch-rivals Los Angeles Lakers. Hey, I know it, I know they aren't the Lakers, but it was funny. I got a text message from a few of my friends who really are pretty, I'd call them passive basketball fans at best, saying, oh, good win for the Celtics the other night. Certainly was. Obviously, it is a good thing in Celtics Nation to beat the Lakers. we be talking to a good friend of mine, Mark Heisler from... The L.A. Daily News and Forbes magazine. Mark's been out in Los Angeles covering the sports scene there since, oh, God knows how long. Great old-time basketball columnist himself. I can't wait to speak with him. But right off the bat, we're going to get into this week for the Boston Celtics. Ups and downs. Ups, right? Two wins in a row. Downs. That horrendous loss out in Atlanta, down there in Atlanta on Tuesday. Another gigantic blown lead. 23 points. When they're up by 23, did anybody say to themselves, oh, they're up by 23, they got this one, right? No, and as soon as Atlanta got back into the game in the third quarter, you could pretty much, I almost checked that one off as a, as a loss itself. Very frustrating game. Once again, Rajon Rondo, pretty much a no-show that night. And we're going to get to the other games in a second. Obviously, don't want to start out being too negative, but we're going to go in chronological order this week here, guys. Very concerned about Rajon Rondo. I... It, I wrote about this, I'd say, about four years ago, and I don't want to keep bragging about what I said about Rondo four years ago and how it's playing out now, but the man has simply regressed to what he was four years ago when we all, when me personally and a few others didn't really think that much of him, you know, three, four, five years ago, and this was a fear that I had four years ago before his injury, and that was this guy is approaching 30 years old, as he is now. 28 years old, 20, turning 29, I believe, in February, if I'm not mistaken. And he starts losing athleticism. What's his game if he can't beat guys off the dribble at the, at the pace that he used to? Because he's not going to beat you with outside shot. He's certainly not going to beat you at the free throw line. And, and this is just getting to be out of control now with this, with this free throw shooting. To be shooting under 40% for anybody, let alone your point guard, is appalling in no other word. What would happen to him as a player? And he's had some good games statistically this year. But unfortunately, you look at his efficiency numbers, he's a league average point guard. And that's a big problem because I think he has other flaws. And obviously the biggest flaw of them all being he is the worst fourth quarter player, uh, I think, ever. He's literally Heathcliff Slocum, Rick Ankeel, Jean Vandeveld all rolled into one in terms of him being playing basketball in the fourth quarter, playing basketball when the game's on the line. He must have some sort of mental issue, mental block. I don't know what it is. But he wants nothing to do with the basketball when it comes to the games. And that's why this team is collapsing. So you had this issue with him. And now you have his declining athleticism. Time to worry about Rondo. Don't even consider offering him a max contract. I really, I really don't want to get into this. I do not want to spend the next 20 minutes of the show complaining about Rondo. You know my feelings, obviously, on this. You can go check out CLNSRadio.com. You can pull out my thousands and thousands and thousands, actually not thousands, couple, handful of columns on Rondo regarding this. But he's declining as a player this year, and he has his issues himself. 
And that's clearly costing the Celtics games. And quite frankly, I think this team, with or without Rondo, it's just no difference. And I think what Danny Ainge is going to do, I know, I'm pretty sure. In fact, I don't want to say I know that this is going to happen. Fairly confident Boston's going to keep Rondo throughout the season, mainly because, one, they can't get a reasonable trade offer for, for him. Two, if you are going to trade Rondo, it's going to be for spare parts. And quite frankly, the last thing this team needs are more spare parts. The last thing this team needs are more Evan Turners and more Marcus Thorntons. So they're not going to trade Rondo there. And going forward, I, you know, I'm starting to wonder. I don't think Danny Ainge is going to care too much if he, quote-unquote, Ron, loses Rondo on free agency for nothing. Because, like I said, he's not going to trade him for spare parts. And at the same time... I'm not sure the Celtics are going to offer him a max contract or even a contract north of $15 million because he's just not that player. You can't build around him. At best, I think he's a, he's a, he's a role player. I mean, he can be you know your fourth best player on a team. He can be a point guard if you have two or three other elite guys, just as he was on the championship team. And he can be the guy maybe being a hassle on defense. But it's clear as day. This team has the talent to at least be a 500 team, to challenge for a playoff spot. And they're just not. And I know they're young, and I know they have some flaws at the center position, but I think the flaws at the center position are just really holding this team back from being a very good team. There's no excuse. This team can't win 35 to 38 games. There's enough talent throughout the roster, and it starts with your quote-unquote best player. He's not making the most of that. So, And you saw that. That Tuesday night in Atlanta. They come back Wednesday. I don't want to say they got a huge win. They beat a pretty pitiful Detroit Pistons team that has far more issues than the Celtics team. But it was a necessary win. It really got, you could just see mentally just getting over that hump. It's like, oh my God, we didn't blow another 20 point lead again. Even though they technically did, they were up by what? What was it? 11 points, 12 points with seven minutes to go. Van Gundy calls a timeout, chooses team out. Detroit makes a huge run. But they pulled it out in overtime. They just got over that, you know, that big mental block of getting a win. I mean, I was pretty pleased. It was funny. That's exactly what I predicted before the game. I thought that they were going to do it. They're going to blow this lead. But Detroit was on the back-to-back, as was Boston on the back-to-back. Boston was at home. That was the difference. They came away with the win. Jeff Green, you know what? Have you noticed one thing? I haven't complained about Jeff Green all this year. He has had a decent season. I don't want to say he's had a great season, but he's had a decent season. He's been productive for his position. He's been a plus player at his position. Lo and behold, Jeff Green has been a Celtic now for four years. He is finally a plus player at his position. He's finally giving you more than what he's taking back. Unfortunately, my goodness, oh, what a coincidence. Jeff's doing this in a contract year. However, beggars can't be choosers. I cannot argue with, argue with it. He has had a solid season, whether he's validating being paid $9 million, whether he's validating the fact that you're probably going to have to re-sign him for $10-plus million, pretty much the same money Sacramento gave Rudy Gay, which I believe is about $11 million per season. Whether he's validating that, I'm not sure. But Jeff Green has been far from the issue than this team this year, and I will admit that myself, because I have been as critical of Jeff Green as anybody has over these last four and a half years he's been in Boston. He's been a good player. He stepped up big Wednesday night. The team needed him. You look at his stat line, I believe it was like 8 for 22 from the field. However, it was an efficient 8 for 22. He got to the line 10 times. Thank you, Lord Almighty. A Celtic actually got to the free throw line 10 times and made his free throws, unlike some other eight-figure salary player on the team. Big that he made his free throws. They pulled out the big win. Carried the momentum, obviously, into the Lakers game. Got the Lakers in a good spot. First off, terrible team. One of the worst defensive teams in history, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. We're going to talk to Mark Heisler of the L.A. Daily News about that. One of the worst offensive teams in history had that game up on a tee for them last night, and they, they did what they were supposed to do. I mean, they punked the Lakers. They gave them a beat down. 
They did pretty much whatever they wanted, whenever they wanted to do on offense. Tyler Zeller really coming around. Very impressed with him. Is he starting center caliber? I'd say yes. He is a starting center in this league. However, he's not a starting center next to a guy like Jared Sollinger. And it's sort of vice versa, right? You can say Jared Sollinger is a very good player and can be a very good, you know, a good player on a very good team. However, he needs a defensive center next to him. So while I, I like both Jared Sollinger and Tyler Zeller, they they both have the same weakness, which is obviously defense. It's they're not exactly to Kevin Motumbo or Elton Brand or Bill Russell defensively. In fact, they're not even anywhere close to that. You're sort of getting my drift. So they really don't play off each other well, but they do. They play off play off each other better than, of course, Olinick and Selinger do. But Zeller, the big game Friday night, 24 points, 14 rebounds. Got to be happy with it. I know Danny Ainge is. He was a big fan of Tyler Zeller going into that draft. He ends up getting him a few years later, essentially for nothing. Pretty much that trade exception, which came up. A part in that Brooklyn deal that they got during the Pierce and Garnett for all those draft picks. Can I say it once again? Thank you, Brooklyn. That looks like an absolute the potential for it to be a Herschel Walker-like heist. Depends what we see Danny Ainge doing with those draft picks years from now. But got to be happy with Zeller. Very good game last night. Have to be happy with Jared Sollinger. He's been consistent all season. Somewhat content with Jeff Green. The reason why I say somewhat content is because... He's making $9 million, and this is the best stretch of basketball he's played outside of maybe that second half in 2013, which really wasn't that long of a stretch. This has basically been the best basketball he's played. But as I said, unfortunately, slash coincidentally or not, it's happening in a contract year. But there certainly have been some positives individually. And now whether this team is going to continue this, I don't know. Big game, obviously, today. The Washington Wizards are in town. And it's really not just about the Washington Wizards in town, even though they are. I think they're tied in the loss column for the best team in the Eastern Conference. They're technically second in the Eastern Conference. You can say it's a big game there. We all know why it's a big game. The Wizards have this guy, I think his name is like Pierce. Oh, that's right, yes. Paul Pierce, one of the all-time great Celtics. He's now a member of the Washington Wizards. He's coming into town. Facing the Celtics for the first time since he was a Brooklyn Net last season. Thoughts on this game? I'm going to say right now, I think Boston can pull this one out. And I think it's important that they pull this out. They've got some momentum now. They're playing at home. Yes, they've had a tough schedule. However, these are home games. You cannot keep losing games at home. They went, what, six consecutive contests at home, losing them all? I mean... I don't really care if they're playing the 86 Celtics, the 97 Bulls, the 87 Lakers, the 65 Celtics. You can't be losing six consecutive home games no matter what kind of team you are. they got to capitalize at home. They've got Washington at home. Now they have the momentum. Now it looks like they've maybe gotten rid of that mental block. I don't want to say they're, they're going to be a good team closing out games. They're never going to be a good team closing out games, not with that point guard playing the way he does for three and a half quarters and then playing the way he does for the final quarter, not the way that's going to happen. It just can't. However, they did seem to get over a hump a little bit there on Wednesday night when they did take down the Pistons in overtime. Can they pull it out? You know what? Here we are. We're 10, 11 minutes in the show. I'm calling it right now. Boston 105. Washington 103, I think, could be the game down to the final seconds. But I'm an optimist. I'm going to ride it out. I think you're going to see Jeff Green. He's going to put together another big game against Washington. 
It's a good matchup for him. He played well against Washington last year down there. I believe he had one of his best games of the season. Especially now, he doesn't have Trevor Ariza checking him. I think that's going to be... Washington's going to feel that loss come postseason. But I, I think Green's going to have his game this afternoon, and I think the Celtics are really going to pull this one out. Tomorrow is going to be a different story. I think Washington's going to slam them down there. But today, you know what? They're at home. They've won two in a row at home. They're just coming off cross six straight home, home losses. Now with the two in the row, I think they're going to pull one out late. But obviously, as we all know, the big story is Paul Pierce. But what kind of story is it? You know, we're not. How many times we see returning Boston athletes come back, and the stupidest storyline of them all is, oh, is he going to get booed or is he going to get cheered? Obviously, we all know this isn't even a storyline at all. Paul Pierce is going to get a roaring ovation. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's certainly going to be interesting how he plays. I think I remember sort of roughly reading a quote last year how when he came back to Boston, it just sort of you know messed him up a little bit mentally in that game with the Nets in January because it sort of brought back all the memories. You saw him do that that contributing editor's piece, that video for the Players' Tribune. I definitely suggest you checking it out, although I'm sure you listeners, you diehard Celtics fans that are listening to the show, I, I want to say about 99.9% of this audience has already seen that video multiple times. But if you haven't, definitely give that one a check out. I'll give them free advertising on the show. Pretty fun stuff. I think they filmed it when he was back in Boston for Jeter's last game. That's a good guess, right? You saw a bunch of people in Red Sox jerseys in short sleeves. Right now it's what? It's overcast, 30 degrees. There's some rain coming down. I don't think they filmed it over this weekend or even a few days ago. But it was a fun video nonetheless, and I am definitely looking forward to that storyline. But once Pierce checks into the game... All business from there, and hopefully it's not a matter of if they get off to a good start. It's when they get off to a good start, they can keep playing from ahead and then close the deal come the fourth quarter. I think they will. I think they're going to get this win. They're going to make it three in a row. Very rare, rare, rare feat under Brad Stevens. hasn't happened too frequently. I think it's only happened once, if I recall correctly. They're going to get their three in a row today. They're going to be a barn burner. But tomorrow... Different story. That's got Wizards blowout look written all over it. Win, lose, or draw today. All right. So guess what? We're bringing Mark Heisler on from the Los Angeles Times. He's not ready yet. So that's going to take us back to, sadly, what was the storyline of the week. And I say sadly because this is our new media in 2014. And we're now just a few weeks away from 2015, believe it or not. My goodness, I'm getting old that we're talking about 2015. Story for another day. Obviously, you know where I'm going. The Kobe Rondo breakfast and the Twitter pictures. You know me, people. I've been as critical as Rondo of anybody. And I mean of anybody because the people that I consider like critical of Rondo, you got your Gary Tangways, you have your people on CLNS like your Ty Rays and your Nick Gelsos. And yes, I'm going to criticize two people that I technically work for. But I'm going to go ahead anyways. As I've said in a column, I mean, they've been missing the boat on their Rondo criticism for so many years. And I think now it's sort of gotten emotional where it's almost like whatever Rondo does that it's like, oh, I mean, this is, you know, it's dumb. It's ridiculous at this point. My obviously criticism of Rondo has been what you've just heard. It's that he has a a few fatal flaws in his game that make him and him being one of your best players on a championship team, that's a repugnant statement. It, it cannot happen. 
And you know why, okay? was what I've said. Huge issues in the fourth quarter in games in basketball are one in the fourth quarter, so you really can't win. But you have sort of this contingency in the media and contingency amongst fans that sort of whatever Rondo does is some sort of validation of their criticism for him. Now, take this. First off, this is a complete garbage story on face value anyways. This is Twitter, and this is the stupid instantaneous whatever is news, which qualifies as news and qualifies as mainstream media news. Like, here's a picture of Barack Obama sitting at a press conference. That's news. You have people tweeting it out, retweet. Oh, my goodness gracious. Oh, my God, the president's sitting down. Here's some movie star eating a burger at... At some at the Pink's hot dog stand out in Los Angeles, um, and this is where we know where we're going. Case in point, and this is it. And now you have people using this as a point to criticize Rondo because he met with the opponent. Can I give people three examples? And Ty Ray, I don't really want to call him out on the show, but I'm going to have to, and I'll be very nice about it. Please listen to Ty and Nick Gelso's Beats and Eats podcast, as I will personally sponsor this complaint and this attack. As it will be brought to you by BeatsAndEats.net, food, comedy, pop, culture, and more. That's BeatsAndEats.net, as well as the Beats and Eats podcast. So I saw the other day saying, Ty Ray saying that Red never would have approved of this. Okay. We've all seen the Bird and Magic documentary on HBO, The Courtship Arrivals. So we know their friendship. <laughs> We all know that back in the 60s, there were a lot of day games that were played. So teams would travel and they'd arrive in cities at nights. Bill Russell and Will Chamberlain would routinely go over to each other's house for dinner and then try to kick each other's ass the next day. Tommy Heinsohn on the Celtics broadcast said that whenever the Lakers were in town, same thing, and it was a day game or whatnot, they'd play cards. And then I think the fun of the funniest story of them all was back during the 1986 NBA playoffs. Danny Ainge actually happened at a golf course that I'm very familiar with. Was guarding Michael Jordan, as we all know. Game one, Michael Jordan scores 49 points. There's a break between game one and two. I believe game one was on a Thursday or a Friday, and I think game two was on a Sunday afternoon. So I think they played golf Saturday afternoon together. Danny Ainge and Michael Jordan played golf together after Jordan lit Ainge up for 49 points in a Celtics win during the playoffs. And then Jordan goes off for 63 in game two. The reason why we don't care is because we didn't really know back then. And now we care because we have these foolish, dumb pictures that people take every time they see a celebrity walk into you know, a fast food joint. So, no, using this worthless piece of news, a picture of Kobe Bryant and Rajon Rondo, eating, by the way, a garbage meal filled with carbohydrates, by the way. So, I mean, they're feeding complete filth. This is not news when you see these people having breakfast. It is very common, and it's no indictment on Rajon Rondo's competitiveness. That's the one thing I have never really truly criticized Rondo about. There's, that's the one thing he does bring it for the games that matter. Does he take games off those Tuesday nights and, you know, down there in Charlotte? Yes, he does. He mails some of those games in. But I don't care. Those games mean nothing in the grand scheme of things in terms of what the outcome is for the season or not. Rajon Rondo is going to bring it for you in the big regular season games against LeBron James and 
in the playoffs. Whether he's going to produce is one is a thing for another, and that's what you can criticize about. But you cannot criticize the man's competitive and you, competitiveness, and he can't use these stupid pictures or these stupid meetings with opponents on the on the other team. All right. Now I know people are saying, "Well, my goodness, uh, Kobe might be recruiting him." Good luck. As far as I'm concerned, take him, Kobe. We have no. I'm not going to say we. I don't speak for entire Celtics nation, but me personally, I have no interest in seeing Rajon Rondo ever play for the Celtics ever again. Because quite frankly, I don't think he's that good. So, in terms of using this as a point to criticize Rondo, because you know he met with the opposition, we all know that's probably just dumb. As the best players have done this, and we all know this happens all the time. I am criticizing society because you know they get caught up every time they see an F-less celebrity ordering a pizza. It's, oh, my God, get the camera phone out. Look, it's, it's, it's somebody who plays basketball for a living. Oh, my goodness. I, I, I can't believe this. I, calm down, society. This is a reason why your country is going down the toilet because you're spending so much time and energy fawning over someone who is a taxpaying stiff just like you. Okay. So that's a nice little lead-in now for our Celtics and Lakers discussion. Can't wait to bring this guy on right now. Long-time veteran sports columnist out in Los Angeles. Been through it all. Now writing for the Los Angeles Daily News as well as Forbes, Mark Heisler. Mark, I must confess, I actually did not watch Friday's game yet. I actually had to do a lot of editing work. I uh, should be trying to get to it soon whenever I get the replay on. But uh, you know, the, the, the Saturday morning, I go to YouTube. I type in Celtics Lakers. I should have known better and hit the uploaded today button because I ended up getting everything from, you know, the 1980s and everything. But uh, I hit upload today, caught a few highlights. A classic matchup that we're probably going to forget about as soon as these two teams play their next game. Am I correct? Um, I wouldn't even go that far. Uh, good game for the Celtics. Uh, bad game or or all too routine a game for the Lakers. Um, pretty one-sided. Uh, Celtics beat them pretty good. So I, I obviously want to talk a lot about the Lakers here because if there's one team that Boston fans just seem to care about in the NBA, it's the Lakers. I have we have a lot of guys on the cover teams. I must confess, they they only really want to hear about the Los Angeles Lakers. If we're going to talk about another team besides the Celtics, it's very. Pretty close tent here, unfortunately. We're not very open-minded here in Boston and in New England. But you're on to talk about the Lakers. I, I really want to get to – we're going to start first with, with Byron Scott. Um, I mean, it's funny. When he was in Jersey, if you recall, the Celtics and the Nets used to play in the playoffs quite a bit back then. And he looked like, you know, an up-and-coming up coach. Now he's sort of gone like almost – I don't want to call it like the North Turner route. He's certainly had his stops on the road. If he doesn't succeed in Los Angeles, do you see this sort of being the end of the line for him in terms of his head coaching career? Well, I'm not sure of that. I mean, you know, there's no doubt. I mean, first of all, I think a lot of Byron um, and, uh, you know, starting with the Nets, you know, I covered him as a player, but uh, starting with the Nets job, uh, um, you know, where they went they went to the finals back-to-back uh, with, you know, what you remember was not a super team. They had Jason Kidd and, uh, you know, a player or two. But, um, you know, to me, his, his team's always overachieved. Um, you know, they always turned out to be better than what you thought they were going to be. Uh, uh, you know, he then, you know, he did have problems with Jason, but as we learned, uh, as we learned later, who doesn't? 
uh, Byron was really tough and, uh, and I mean, genuinely tough in the sense that um, he doesn't pussyfoot around his best players. He'll criticize his star players, and most of them don't like it. Uh, Stefan Marbury didn't like it. Jason Kidd didn't like it. Uh, Chris Paul did like it. And, of course, you know, that's when Byron went to the New Orleans, and, and you know, that was a great relationship. But um, uh, so uh, there's, you know, there's no doubt that, you know, Byron – uh, was set back by the New Orleans experience. You know, Chris was coming to the end of his contract, was looking to get out. Um, you know, there was a, you know, Baron Davis, you know, uh, you know, he inherited Baron Davis before Chris, and that was a really bad relationship uh, because uh, Baron was in a really bad place, you know, vis-a-vis ownership. Um, so, uh, you know, I mean, as good as Byron is, you know, I don't think it shows at all in this Laker team. So, I mean, you know, to be frank about it, it's not going to help his uh, his chances to get another coaching job down the line, but you just never know about that stuff. Yeah, what I always – my perception of Byron Scott, particularly over the last few jobs that he had, I don't even want to count Cleveland because that was just nothing. I mean, that was just a joke, what they were doing there for a few years after LeBron. But he, he – I mean – he took a lot after Pat Riley. I watched Byron pretty closely because I used to attend all those Celtics-Nets games in the playoffs, and I believe they played, what, like seven or eight playoff games? Uh, no, they played ten times in the playoffs, plus all the regular seasons. And he used to like, mimic Pat Riley a lot. Like, I remember if the Celtics would make, like, a big run late in the fourth quarter, you know, Byron would call a timeout, and then he would not even, like, talk to the team. He would, he would just, like, stand over on the side as sort of almost just, like, a disciplinarian thing. And the team would respond to that. He was sort of a disciplinarian coach. But what I noticed is he was, like, really good for a team early on because, you know, he would do what Riley would do. He'd kind of kick their, you know, his team's ass early on. But it seemed later that it looked like, especially within that Nets job, he might have maybe worn out his welcome a little bit. And that's what I figured what would happen with this Lakers team. I thought he was, I thought he was a good hire for this Lakers team because, you know, he would, he would give them the boost they needed, particularly defensively. But, you know, we really haven't seen that especially on the defensive end. I mean, the Lakers are struggling defensively, to say the very least. How much does that really attribute, though, to the personnel that he has on the team in terms of the poor defense, the, the defensive woes that this team is going through? Well, um, you know, I think personnel is, is you know, is, a, is the most important thing, you know, that, that can happen to a coach, and it's out of his control. So, you know, Pat Riley was, was lucky enough, and, and Byron does – you know, model himself a lot after Pat Riley. And, you know, and if you watch the way he stands on the sideline and crosses his arms, and as a matter of fact, they had the same shirt maker, <laughs> the same tailor, who I believe is from Lawrence County or somewhere in the L.A. Uh, uh, area. You know, you could tell with those flared collars. Um, but uh, uh, Pat Riley was lucky enough, you know, to start with totally without any experience at all, but with a great team. And so as Riles became, learned how to coach, and he did learn how to coach, and he became a very good coach, or a great coach, um, you know, he was lucky. He was, you know, he had Magic Johnson and uh, James Worthy and, and A.C. Green and Byron Scott and all those guys. Uh, you know, Brad Stevens might be one heck of a coach, but, you know, he hasn't been 500 in the NBA yet and won't be until the personnel is good enough. So um, I don't blame Byron one bit for what's going on here. You know, last year, I mean, you know, last year, you know, last year's season's team looks good compared to this season's team. 
And, you know, and meanwhile, and Mike D'Antoni just got shot up like Swiss cheese, you know, <laughs> and, and another good coach. You know, a good coach in the wrong place uh, is a dead man. <laughs> and, so, and a bad coach in the right place, you know, will, you know, may look okay for a while. But, uh, you know, it's a terrible thing to be, you know, in the wrong place at the wrong time. I mean, that's always, too, what the argument I've tried to make is this is – it's more of a – we always say it's a player's league, but the NBA is pretty much entirely a player's league. Uh, I mean, you can have – there are very rare instances in the history of the NBA where a coach has, like, messed up a team. I mean, you've seen it uh, in football. You saw, say, George – I don't want to say George Seifert messed up the 49ers – but I mean, they what? They only won that one Super Bowl there. One of them, they had pretty good teams. Same thing, Barry Switzer with like a loaded Dallas team. In the NBA, it's I mean, it's you have to have the guys there, and 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 you know, a poor team can pretty much wreck the career of you know any coach. Well, uh, I, I don't want to go so far as to say that you know the coach doesn't mean anything because actually he means a lot, and he means much more these days than he used to. You know, like. You know, Red Auerbach was a you know card-carrying genius, but uh, to me, you know, his real genius was player personnel. Because you know, I mean, I, you know, I, I've done this story a million times. You know, you take a look at all the great players, you know, on whom uh, the Celtics' success was built. You know, from Bill Russell to John Havlicek to Bob Cousy, you know, just on down, to, you know, all the way up to Larry Bird. He didn't have first shot at any of those players. You know, he bamboozled somebody or outthought somebody for every last one of them, starting with Bill Russell, whom, of course, they got in the trade with the Rochester Royals. Um, and so, um, but, you know, coaches are much more important these days. But, you know, but you just have to, I mean, you know, look, Scott Brooks is a really good coach. You take uh, Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook away from him, and I forget what they were when those two guys came back, about like 4 and 12. Yeah, 5 and 13, so, I think, something like that. Yeah, so, you know, I mean, it's, you know, you have to have good, you know, you, you know, you can't make a bad team into a good team. You know, the guy who can do it better than anybody else is Larry Brown. And Larry Brown can take what they could, could take, like mud, and make it into something for a while. Um, you know, because he's just that good, and he's you know, and, and on the top on, on top of his game, he's just that brilliant. Uh, but but you know, the thing about the NBA, you know, it's 82 games regular season, and the playoffs are seven games. So it's not about just pulling off surprises. It's about being good every day, and about being really good every day. Yeah, one thing before I switch topics here, though. You also you were talking about Red Auerbach's great moves. You forgot, obviously, the biggest swindle of them all, Joe Barry Carroll for Kevin McHale and Robert Parrish. But I do got to correct you on Bob Cousy. If you recall, they pulled his name out of a hat. He had passed up on Cousy in the draft, never really liked him, but they got him in a dispersal draft. But I definitely want to switch to this. So you were out in Los Angeles. You've been covering the sports scene out there. You've been there, what, early 80s, I believe, even longer? Or uh, Let's see. I moved out of here in 1979 from Philadelphia. Yes, you've been you've seen it all out there, and you've certainly pretty much seen the Lakers in L.A. I mean, what they moved, I think it was at nine, you know, they moved 1960, but it was really night, you know, once Magic arrived, where they've been pretty much a championship team every single year, and in the league, in the years they haven't, you can count on one hand. What's the perception of the Lakers like this year, and maybe in these next few years going forward? And if I could even ask the follow up question right now. 
I talked with uh, a courtside season ticket holder of the Lakers when he was up here. No, not Jack Nicholson, someone else. And I want to mention this, but what's the perception of Jim Buss as well? Well, Jim Buss, you know, is the ritual scapegoat. And, um, uh, you know, everything is blamed on him. Uh, you know, he's made a mistake or two, but only a mistake or two. I mean, his only, his only real mistake uh, was hiring Mike Brown, which wasn't, which wasn't that bad. Um, you know, people don't like to, to Laker fans don't like to think about this, but, you know, I mean, this, this decline has basically been, you know, started in 2011, you know, the year that they failed to defend their, their back-to-back championship um, in nine and 10, which as Celtic fans will, will remember <laughs> was only back-to-back because they came from, 11 or 13 behind on the Celtics in game seven, you know, when it really looked like the Celtics were going to shock the world. But uh, anyway, so, you know, Jerry Buss was, uh, you know, was in charge for the first few years and made the first few mistakes and they were big mistakes. And the biggest mistake was not realizing that they were in decline and needed to do something dramatic. Now, some of the mistakes, um, you know, that they made, and this Jerry Buss was still there for this, was, you know, like getting Dwight Howard. Well, that's a mistake that anybody would have made. So, you know, I, you know, I never hold those against anybody. Uh, anybody in their position would have done it. Um, you know, they, uh, they built a tradition on pilfering other people's great centers, all of whom had stayed. Uh, it, it just didn't occur to them that, you know, that Dwight wouldn't stay in the end and would, in fact, take $30 million less to go someplace else. Um, you know, that's a mistake I would have made in their place, and, you know, you'll have to show me the person who wouldn't have made it. But other mistake, you know, the other big mistake that they've made was giving Kobe all that money last year, and that was not Jim Bus, that was Genie Bus. And, you know, I think a lot of Genie, and I think Genie is very highly regarded and very popular, and, and Jim you know, is scapegoated. I mean, the bottom line is there's no savior for the Lakers. You know, it's not like it's not like they could have hired Phil Jackson, you know, to come back and run the team. You know, the Knicks hired Phil to come back and run the team. And, you know, <laughs> you know, Phil's not a savior. You know, he's a, he's a, he's a, he was a great coach. He's going to learn to be an executive. And meanwhile, you know, the, the Knicks are in the dumper. Um, you know, you could bring in Greg Popovich, and give him the Lakers right now, you know, unless he gets, you know, the, the next two number one picks, you know, and I, you know, as in in San Antonio, you know, where they, you know, he he had David Robinson, they got Tim Duncan, and the pops credit. That's the first thing he'll always say if you, if you ever say one good thing about what the Spurs have done, he'll say, first thing he'll say is we got really lucky. Um, so. Um, you know, Jim Buss is getting all the blame. Lakers fans are dismayed, uh, but, you know, Jim Buss didn't do this. And, uh, you know, like uh, Magic Wand and anointing somebody in his, in his place isn't going to change anything. I do want to touch upon that, uh, the, uh, obviously, the Kobe Bryant contract in a minute, but I do also want to follow up on Jim Buss. I mean, my, my perception is is that, you know, the Lakers are obviously struggling now, and like I've said, they've pretty much never really struggled for an extended period of time since they've been in Los Angeles. So it's like they've got to find someone really to blame, and it's like, oh, well, we're going to have to blame Jim Buss. And you had mentioned, obviously, luck. I mean, people just – they don't really 
come to grasp how much luck has to do with it. I mean, I go back to that, obviously, you know, this, we, we didn't mention it, but I obviously go back to that Chris Paul trade. I mean, had that gone through, the Lakers, it would have been so much easier for the Lakers to build their team from there. Just like, I mean, when I go back, you know, when you talk about the decline of the Celtics, I mean, it's like had Len Bias lived, uh, it would have just been so much easier for them to build a team. Once they had that happen, they, were, they just started chasing, and then they started making bad moves. And that's sort of like what's happening with the Lakers. You know, they had that taken away. So, I mean, you're no, Yeah, no, it's a, you know, that's a, that's a huge thing. And, you know, and, you know, something like that, I mean, I don't, I don't consider that luck, you know, but it happened to them, and it was a terrible thing. But, you know, it's also the kind of thing is, that, you know, like when you're as great as, you know, as the Lakers were recently and, and as the Celtics were, you know, you know, for almost, you know, for most of their history, a lot of really lucky things happened to you or a lot of great things. Like, you know, the Lakers got Shaquille, signed him as a free agent one year after the league changed the rules. And under the old rules, Orlando uh, would have had right of first refusal and could have matched any offer. They changed that rule one year ahead of that of Jack's free agency, so Orlando couldn't match, um, and you know Shaq could go where he wanted. You know that was a piece of good luck. <laughs> without and without that, you know uh, the Lakers, you know they'd have been they'd have been uh, they'd have been cooked a long time before Chris Paul. But you mentioned the Kobe Bryant contract. Is it? I mean. How much of that really was just to – because, the, I mean, I know the Lakers have an incredible fan base, pretty much some of the best fan base in sports. But, I mean, I make frequent trips out to Los Angeles myself. And, I mean, I can make the judgment that there's a good – not maybe like a huge portion, but there's a nice contingency of Lakers fans that are kind of like Kobe fans. How much of you think giving him that contract was to sort of appease that part of the fan base? Well, I don't think it was that specific, but I do think marketing – and uh, showmanship, um, you know, those factors uh, entered into it. You know, this was Jeannie's decision. This was Jeannie's initiative uh, much more than Jim's, and, and Jeannie stays out of basketball. You know, uh, Jim runs basketball, but, but I mean, to the, you know, happily for the Lakers, Mitch Kupchak runs basketball. You know, the reason that Jim's not a disaster is because Mitch Kupchak is able. So, um, but anyway, so, uh, you know, but Jeannie is very much, uh, her father's daughter, and Jerry was very promotional, you know, promoter. He was a promoter, you know, first and foremost, and he thought in terms of showmanship and a pleasing style and, you know, what the fans wanted, and that's why he, you know, that's why he came up with, you know, uh, you know what became known as Showtime, you know, which, of course, you know, the Celtics might, you know, <laughs> might say. We you know, know a little bit about they, it, yeah. They fought a first about 30, 40 years before, but um, but, you know, so, but Jerry, you know, Jerry Buss, you know, was very much aware of, you know, one, you know, wanting to give uh, fans, uh, you know, a pleasing, you know, something that they like, something exciting, something flashy, something L.A. style, blah, blah, blah. And that is Kobe. And after losing Dwight, I think they were very, uh, I think, you know, I mean, Jeannie was, you know, uh, even more anxious to, you know, get Kobe under contract. Now, the thing was, uh, you know, Kobe was going to be a free agent, but he had no place to go. So he wasn't leaving. He had no intention of leaving. And they could have easily secured him. They could have, you know, made an agreement on the money, but they could have said, 
uh, you know, this because this was in November of last year, and they could have said, well, we're going to wait until July 1st, you know, of next summer and see what else, you know, what else we might be able to do with the money if there's players we can get for it. And if there are players that we might be able to get, well, then we'll still give you the money, but we'll give it to you down the line. And, uh, you know, I think Kobe would have gone for that. You know, in fact, you know, they did try to get Carmelo, and, um, you know, they did at least get him to listen. Um, and, you know, so they came that close. Um, and But they had no, you know, between Kobe's money and the, and the max slot for Carmelo, they had no other money. And, uh, you know, my thinking is if they, if they had saved an extra $13 million, maybe they could have gotten Kyle Lowry because that's the money that Kyle Lowry went back to Toronto for. Well, if they're able to tell Carmelo, you know, well, we're bringing in Kyle Lowry too, well, maybe it becomes a different deal. So, I mean, the, the bottom line was the Lakers cut off options, you know, as far as getting more players by making that deal with Kobe at that time. And that's just something you just, they just couldn't do. Yeah, I, when, I, when, when that deal was made at the time, I just thought a lot of it was, in my opinion, I thought it was PR because I think the Lakers, you know, they didn't get off to that great start last year and ended up being a bad season. And this was when Kobe was still out. I mean, a lot of it was sort of PR. Maybe that, I mean, you had the television deal. You had the fact that they were staring, you know, a non-playoff season in the face for the first time in, what, like, was it 2005? I think they missed, so... That was my always thing. I, I thought it was PR, but I got to ask you. I mean, I'm going to ask you personally. I'm going to put you on the spot. I mean, how do you just, just sort of give me your general thoughts of you know the list Lakers rebuilding? Do you feel pretty comfortable that they're going to you know get back to the position the Lakers are you know accustomed to? Well, I mean, the good thing about the you know good thing about them is they are the Lakers. Um, you know, which is it's like being the Celtics. You know. People may think that goes away, but it doesn't. I mean, even 10 years later, you know, I, mean, I remember, you know, the Celtics had this, you know, well, just about a 20-year dry run, you know. 22. Between, uh, you know, I think it was from, yeah, right, from 97 to 2008, right? Yeah, 86. Uh, oh, and that's just, oh, that's finals appearances, so. Yeah. Um, uh, so, but, you know, but they're still the Celtics, and, you know, so they're still, you have that tradition to, to, to build on, plus, you know, as long as you keep your key people, and, you know, when Danny Ainge back, you know, that's a big thing. You know, you have that institutional wisdom. And uh, so, and then, you know, the Lakers have immense resources, immense financial resources, and the salary cap is going to be going up. It's going to be loosening, you know. So, you know, uh, a Laker official once told me, he said, somebody is going to take our money. And that's true. Somebody is going to take their money. The question is when. You know, I don't think they're going to get Kevin Durant. In 2016, I don't know who they're going to get in 2015. They'll be in the running for Marcus Gasol, as will everybody. You know, if I had to make a guess, Marcus Gasol will stay in uh, Memphis, and Kevin Love. You know, we'll see. And you know, the Knicks are going to be, you know, in all these things too. And the Nets are going to be in 2016, and, and you know, and, and probably 20 other teams. Um, so, uh, you know, I can't tell you when the Lakers are going to be back. You know, but if they if they stay together, um, you know, I would be pretty confident in saying they will be back sometime. Now, the other, next thing I will say is, you know, like if uh, two or three more years like this, and they might not stay together. I mean, Jim Busson said that you know that he would sell the team if he, you know, if it's proven that he can't, uh, you know, do well with it. And uh, you know, they could always scapegoat Mitch, um, you know, as they be, as they were beginning to do it in uh, 2005. Uh, after Shaq left, and um, you know, so 
Um, you know, so it, it remains to be seen. You know, when when the uh, when the Bulls, when Michael Jordan left the Bulls, I have a friend on you know in a newspaper in uh, in Chicago, and I bet him ten. I bet him that uh, that the Bulls would not be back in the NBA Finals for ten years. Um, and uh, and I was right, and I did it solely on the the notion that it's not easy to do that. <laughs> you know, you can't. You can't start from zero and get to somewhere, you know, and get to, you know, get to the to the finals that easily. You have to be really good and you have to be really lucky. And the Bulls wouldn't have come that as close as they did if they hadn't totally lucked in the Derrick Rose, you know, and you know, number one pick in a draft in which they, you know, had about the eighth worth record. Yeah, they had a 1.9% chance of getting Derrick Rose, and you're right, they got Rose. And even then, they still haven't made the finals. They made the Eastern Conference Finals that one year. They seemingly had a team that was going to be around for 10 years, and now Rose has sort of come unglued, and they're sort of teetering on the edge, I'd say. They've been competitive, but uh, they're, you know, it's, it's nowhere near a true finals team unless you see Rose healthy. And, you know, I don't think Rose well, is Well, you know, if again. Rose is healthy, I see them as a, I, do, I do see them as a finals team. Um, Big if, though. Nobody else. Well, in in my mind, nobody else in the East is very good, and they're they're pretty good. I mean, they're very good, you know, with Rose being, you know, you know, stum, you know, like tiptoeing around and just trying to get back into it. Uh, they don't need Derrick Rose to be everything that he was to be a really, really, really good team, but they do need him to be there, and that's what we're going to have to find out. Yeah, I still think it's a pretty big if in terms of his health. But I'm going to ask you one more question, and it's going to be the absolute dumbest question of the, all the questions that I've asked. But I have to ask it because everybody wants to know about it. I think you know where you're going. Social. This is social media 2014, 2015, right? I mean, the Kobe Bryant, Rajon Rondo breakfast, this is absolutely not news 20 years ago. I mean, as I mentioned in the opening, Danny Ainge played golf before Michael, before in, during the 1986 playoffs as Jordan was lighting him up. For 63 points with Jordan. Obviously, you saw the Bird Magic documentary. Wilton Russell used to have dinner all the time. I mean, did you make anything of this little breakfast at the Paramount in Beacon Hill? Um, I wouldn't know what to make of it. Uh, you know, uh, you know, the Lakers at this point are desperate, and you know, and I don't think they think I don't think they they see you know Rondo as any kind of a player. You know that they would, uh, you know, want to build around. On the other hand, you know, if it, you know, he's coming to the end of his contract. Um, you know, if if they could get their hands on him for some kind of non-ruinous price for the rest of the season, they would have a far different team. Uh, because you know, for all his issues, Rondo is really dynamic player, and you know, the Lakers know his issues better than anybody because you know, I mean, Kobe is is the guy who used to play off of Rondo all the time. And just sit in the lane, try to jam up the Celtic uh, um, offense. Um, and you know, at, at Rondo's age, you know he's not. In, you know, at Rondo's age, and you know, with his with his shooting issue uh, or long range shooting issue, and basically he doesn't. Um, you know, I mean, he would not be a cornerstone player in my mind. On the other hand, you know, if you could get a hold of him now, so yeah, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it past. You know, <laughs> I would. I wouldn't say it can't mean anything. It could mean something. Well, if it was up to me, I, I mean, you can certainly have them. Unfortunately, it's unfortunately it's not. 
But Mark Heisler, thank you so much for joining us. It's Mark Heisler of Forbes and the Los Angeles Daily News. And you can follow Mark on Twitter at his namesake, Mark Heisler. Mark, thank you so much for joining us on Celtic Street this morning. Uh, my pleasure. Uh, thanks for having me. Well, thanks, Mark. Obviously, that was Mark Heiser from the Los Angeles Daily News. Been out there a long time. He's meant so much to that community. Been around a long, long time and writing longer than I've been alive. And I like to think I've been alive a decent amount of time now. Very good conversation there. I definitely want to, want to pick up. I had mentioned that I spoke to one of the court, Lakers court size season ticket holders over the summer when he was up here. And the question I asked, I, I remember, I, I go, I mean, is, is Jim Boss as bad as as they say? I mean, is he just, you know, some guy to blame because the Lakers have been struggling? And he freaks out. He's, it's very odd for, you know, we always think of Los, you know, Los Angeles, people from out, out there, Los Angeles, Southern California, whatever, is laid back, uh, like, well, they'll be fine, life's good. He freaks out. He says, my God, this could be the Oakland Raiders all over again. This could be Al Davis at the end of his life taking, taking a once great franchise and turning into the pits. And I was like, wow. Okay, uh, that that that's certainly interesting, but I, I I really can't. It's it's hard not to not go back and and look at that Chris Paul non-trade, and it's hard not to make the comparison to Len Bias, because I, I've made the argument many times. Had Bias lived for the Celtics, obviously, I mean they would have been a better team, but they just would have been able to make moves based around the fact that they had a new, you know, not maybe even a franchise player, but a new young talent at the front court. Kevin McHale would not have declined the way he did because the Celtics like would have done that trade with Dallas for Sam Perkins and Detlef Shrimp. They would have replenished the front court. They would have not probably pulled the trigger on the Danny Ainge trade because they traded Danny Ainge to get front court help with Eddie Pinckney. You go into the 90s, you have Bias, you have Bird, you have Ainge, you have a decent bench with Shrimp and Perkins, which was a trade that was on the table. Celtics would have kept on winning. And then, obviously, you throw in Reggie Lewis and Brian Shaw. I go back to the Lakers now. That Chris Paul trade goes through. Pau Gasol, who was declining, they end up getting nothing for Pau Gasol. He left as a free agent a few years later. Same thing Lamar Odom. They ended up trading for some first-round draft choice, which they ended up trading that for Ramon Sessions because they didn't have a point guard. I mean, they've made a lot of these, quote-unquote, bad moves that Jim Buss or the Lakers have made. The Chris Paul non-trade was the catalyst for it. So they just got a really a terrible break. If that trade went through, the Lakers would have Chris Paul, Kobe Bryant, and Dwight Howard on their team right now. It's as simple as that. And they would be they probably would have won maybe another championship. I'm not so sure about that, but they would have been in the finals. They would have been a 55-60 win team. They'd still be that right now. And they would have been a bit just in a much easier position going forward to build the team because it's easy to build a team when you got your two franchise guys and all you got to do is convince role players to come play for a team that's going to win 60 games. So that was just a bad break there. And I don't think we'd be, not we, but I don't think Los Angeles Lakers fans would be complaining about Jim Buss had a simple you know trade been approved by the league owners. So they just got a bad break out there in L.A. and they're paying for it. Just as the Celtics had to pay for it, obviously, you know, you had the tragic, tragic deaths of, Len Bias and Reggie Lewis, and, you know, I mean, people can go back and say, oh, I mean, they passed up on Eddie Jones for Eric Montross and yada, yada, yada. I mean, it's, uh, we all know it just would have been a different ball game for the Celtics had that happened. But obviously when you get a Celtics guy and a Lakers guy on, you're going to start reminiscing about the quote-unquote glory days. 
But how about going forward? How about the Lakers and the Celtics going forward? Obviously, these are eternal rivals. It's the only, no matter what people tell you, Celtics and the Lakers is the only rivalry in the NBA in its history, period. There's all these fringe rivalries that come up, and then they're gone. You get the Lakers and the Kings in the early part of the decade, Celtics and the Pistons, Celtics and the Sixers and the Knicks, or whatever, and the Bulls and the Knicks. They come and go as the teams go. There's always going to be a connection with the Celtics and the Lakers, which is incredible because they could not be geographically any further apart. So you're asking me, what about the future? You got Lakers and the Celtics, who's quote-unquote going to be back? I mean, who's going to win a championship first? I mean, that's basically impossible to predict. Who will be maybe back as a competitive team, winning 50 games in multiple seasons in a row? I'll put forward arguments on both sides. Obviously, the Lakers have the biggest thing going for them. They're the NBA's glamour franchise. They play in Los Angeles. No bigger destination to play in the NBA, maybe besides, you know, I mean, it's debatable. You have Miami, you have New York. I guess you can throw Chicago in there, but it's never really helped the Bulls get free agents in their history. And I mean, you have to say Los Angeles is almost, it's basically the, ba- the professional basketball capital of the world. They have that going for them. You mentioned Mark Heisler saying he's spoken with Lakers officials saying, we're going to get somebody. It's just a matter of who, and it's just a matter of when. So they have that going for them. The Celtics, you know what they got? They got location going from too. That's right, location. This, like I mentioned earlier today, it's 35 degrees, it's dreary, it's overcast, the rain has stopped. But here's where the location comes in a benefit. They're in the Eastern Conference. It is not hard to become a 50-win team in the Eastern Conference. This has notoriously been a bad conference now. You hear a lot of people saying, oh, it's cynical. The East will be back. Uh, It's been about 15 years now. The Eastern Conference has been pretty poor. And obviously, it's because a lot of these players want to go out West. But Celtics are in the Eastern Conference. They have that going for them. And obviously, the biggest of them all, they have a little more roster flexibility than the Lakers have. You're asking me, well, I'm asking myself on the show, which I guess is basically me saying that you're asking me, asking me which team is going to be quote-unquote back first. I'm going to take the coward's way out. I'm going to say, talk to me after the season. I want to see how this season goes for the Celtics. We will know. Because if this Celtics team doesn't show any improvement from last year's team, I am very concerned about the rebuilding efforts here. However, if you see this team maybe get 10 more wins than last year's team and win about 34, 35 win games, coupled with key young players improving, that's Marcus Smart, that's Jared Sollinger, that's Kelly Olenek, they're improving, they're becoming better players individually and quote-unquote boosting their trade value. And then you have the draft pick flexibility and you have some cap room to work with. You grow as a team, then you get that room to make that quote-unquote transformative move that President Rich Gotham mentioned on this show back over the summer. You got an easier chance of making a trade for that big star that comes on the market, possibly whoever's disrolled that says, oh, I want out. You know, Boston's going to be right in it. They're going to be right in it for a big star. And you have other players hopefully getting better. This is, this is a big season both for the Celtics and the Lakers. The Lakers, you know what? Their fans are probably saying, we need to be as bad as possible. We need this team winning no more than 20 games because we got to keep that top five pick. We can't afford to send over a draft choice to Phoenix, which, by the way, they owe because of the Steve Nash trade, which was, of course, they needed a point guard because they lost out on Chris Paul in that famous trade. They never would have given up all those draft choices. But the Lakers fans, they're saying, you know what, we need to be as bad as possible. We can't win any more than 20, 25 games so that we can have another top five pick. They're getting Julius Randle back next year. I expect Julius Randle to have a good career. Couple him with Julius Randle, maybe get a free agent. Then they're cooking a little bit. Celtics fans or anybody who's sensible about basketball who has any emotional investment into this team, 
You're a complete moron if you're saying this team needs to tank for a high draft choice. It's far more valuable for guys like Sullinger, Smart, and Olenek, and other players in this team to play relevant basketball in April. They don't have to make the playoffs, but they have to be competing for the playoffs, and these players need to show that they can be a part of a winning team so that way, A, they can grow as a team and maybe just return better next year, and B, hey, showcase themselves a little bit so they can get something. All right, that's enough about the Celtics. That's enough about the Lakers. We've talked certainly enough about the Celtics. Got to get around the NBA in five. Here we go. Saturday headline in the New York Post. Knicks likely to whiff on Marcus Gasol. Is Okafor a new hope? That was from Mark Berman, longtime New York Knicks beat writer. It's already that time in New York, huh? The season's already already all over for them. They're four and whatever. Carmelo is looks like crap. The whole team looks like crap. That's that franchise, as sad as is. I mentioned the Oakland Raiders comparison about you know Al Davis at the end of his you know life there and just the team just coming completely undone the Knicks have been the Oakland Raiders or the Los Angeles Raiders or whatever the Raiders for the last 40 plus years I'd bet any penny nickel diamond dollar I have their title drought is going to reach 50 years I don't know what they've been doing the last 50 years it's unspeakable that they've never really been able to build a championship team in 50 years 45 years since the early 70s since freaking Kent State people they haven't had a legitimate team since Frazier and Monroe and DeBusher. I mean, this is ancient history. The only time they had a team that challenged for a championship in 93 and 94, that's just two years. They had decent teams. None of those teams were contenders. 93 and 94 were their only shots. Was when the league, ahem, kind of gift-wrapped them, Patrick Ewing. You erase that era. That franchise has been posting losing season after losing season after losing season. And I say yes if you erase that era because I personally do since it came under shady circumstances with a bent envelope, to say the least. So I, there's nothing really going on there in New York. Now they're banking on more lottery hope. That franchise is a lost cause. And it's scary to think that because New York is one of the greatest cities in the world, certainly the best city in the United States. And they have a great basketball fan base, but it's just incredible to me at how atrocious they have been for so many years in their history. Magic Johnson praising LeBron James and telling athletes that they must speak up. And that's obviously in response to this Ferguson and the violence and and all the riots. Uh, I'm sorry, LeBron James is not Robert F. Kennedy, and this is not LeBron James like Robert F. Kennedy calming down a riot after Martin Luther King has been assassinated. Nobody should listen to what LeBron James has to say. I'm tired of all these stupid, dumb headlines where whenever there's some sort of national tragedy, be it you go back a few years ago with the shooting in Connecticut, lead headline on ESPN is what LeBron James thinks. LeBron James doesn't have his college degree. I am 50 million times smarter than LeBron James. You that are probably listening are probably 10 times, 50 million, whatever. You are a smarter individual than LeBron James. If you click on one column... Or if you watch one second of an ESPN clip of what LeBron James has to say about fill-in-the-blank, parentheses, anything that else that has anything to do with the NBA, you are a complete fool. And shame on Magic Johnson for praising LeBron James, talking about his message with Ferguson. I don't care what his message with Ferguson is. I really don't. And even if it was a good message, which I'm sure it was, and like I said, I don't even know what it is because like, I don't care what LeBron James has to say if it doesn't have anything to do with basketball. I don't care. If you pay attention, this goes back to this Rajon Rondo thing and Kobe Bryant taking pictures of two people eating food. If you care what LeBron James has to say about anything else regarding basketball, you are a fool. Start focusing on more important things in life. 
And if you're going to talk about LeBron James in basketball, you got to give him credit. Cleveland Cavaliers, they're rolling now. I said this was going to happen. They punked the Raptors Friday night. The quote-unquote best team in the Eastern Conference. I think John Hollinger had them as like some overwhelming 50% favorites. That's the Raptors it is to win the NBA championship. Let me tell you what the Raptors' chances of winning the championship are. Zero percent. There is no chance they win the NBA championship. There is no chance they beat Cleveland in a playoff series. Cleveland showed them Friday night who the boss was. They got the best player in LeBron James. They've got the second best player in Kevin Love. They may, I don't want to say they have the third best player in Kyrie Irving, but they have certainly have one and two. LeBron James, I don't want to say he's the best player in the NBA anymore. I give that to Anthony Davis. He's number one. But LeBron James is still number two. LeBron is still going to have the Cleveland Cavaliers in the NBA Finals. You showed it Friday night. It's going to continue. No big deal. Get to this real quick here. Cleveland Cavaliers, you remember them? They picked up a lot of trade exceptions so that we can add another piece to this team. A lot of people were talking about Roy Hibbert or... Or some other rim-protecting center. And now the big rumor is, wait for it, Tayshaun Prince. A guy who's been in the league 11 years now and is, has no place in the Memphis Grizzlies rotation. Tayshaun Prince, I guess, I mean, they, that, that's telling you that the Sean Marion experiment has failed. And that Sean Marion's all done. Be, I don't think that's really going to do anything. They're better off almost just letting that money expire and not even bother. Picking up a guy like Tayshaun Prince, he has absolutely, he's going to, there's going to be no impact with Tayshaun Prince, no matter what. I got the Cavs in the finals anyways. Don't have to waste our time with Tayshaun Prince. Tayshaun is all done, just like around the NBA in five, and just like this show, all done. That's going to do it for this week's edition of Celtics Beat. Music for Celtics Beat was provided by Chuck Dietz, Astervex, and Steph Legato. Be sure to follow us on social media. Our Twitter handle is Celtics underscore beat. And you can like Celtics beat on CLNS radio on Facebook to keep up with the show. Love to thank our guest, Mark Hives, our Los Angeles Daily News for magazine. Unbelievable conversation with Mark. Fun to talk about the good old days. For myself, the executive producer and host of the show, I am Larry H. Russell. See you next Sunday with special guests. NBA trade season people, Jared's whirling, Bleach Report. We have a lot to talk about. Another edition of Celtics Beat exclusively on CLNS Radio.